0: of Job, um, often we overlook this, but for the first week, Job's friends came and they just sat with him. And they get into trouble when they when they open their exactly. mouth and try to explain yeah. things yeah. that they don't know, right? And that's right. what God says at the end. And why do you talk so much when you know so little? At the moment when somebody is in the crucible, so to speak, I mean, that, that is not the time for theological explanation.
1: Right. Welcome back to Advent Next, a platform where we hold life and faith discussions with experts and PhD professors exploring tantalizing topics related to faith, history, and culture. Today, our guest is Dr. John Peckham, professor of theology and Christian philosophy from Andrews University. Our topic for this hour is his new book, The Odyssey of Love. Now, what's the Odyssey mean? Theodicy is essentially an examination of the justice of God in light of the evil present in the world. In other words, is God good if he allows bad things to happen? And if bad things happen, is God really all-powerful? These are huge questions in the world of theology, however, Dr. Peckham does help us to build the framework to begin tackling these questions in our own walk of faith, and helpful ways we can provide comfort to other suffering souls. Welcome to Advent Next. Uh, Today, our guest is Dr. John Peckham. Um, He wrote this wonderful book called The Theodicy of Love, which is going to be one of our topics today. Um, We have a co-host today, Michelle O'Dinma. Hello. (laughs) And uh, yeah, we'll just get right into it. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Yes. As you said, my name is John Peckham. Um, I'm a professor of theology and Christian philosophy uh, here in the seminary at Andrews University. Mm. Um, I'm married to wonderful woman Brenda, and we have one child, a uh, son Joel, eight years old, and he is our uh, pride and joy.
1: Mm. <laughs> awesome. So, you wrote this book, The Odyssey of Love, and how did you how did you get interested into the topic? Like, why is that something that interested you?
0: Yeah, for I was a PK a pastor's kid. My dad was a youth pastor when I was a kid. Not my not my entire childhood because he came into ministry through an indirect route. He was a, a youth ministry director. Uh, at a local church, and then he got called into ministry full-time from there. But I remember from as, as early as I can remember just being troubled by the suffering and the evil in the world in light of what I believed about God to be a good and loving God. Mm. And we would often, uh, my dad, because he was the, the youth pastor at a, a pretty large church on a college campus, uh, we often did outreach activities, soup kitchens. Uh, we'd go into the city and do all kinds of outreach. And I was always, from as long as I can remember, at a young age, very troubled mm-hmm. At things like homelessness, um, people suffering, and how do how do how do you reconcile that with the goodness and love of God, who's all powerful and only wants good for us? So, really, as long as I can remember, it's it's probably the number one reason I became a theologian.
1: And I think that's the biggest thing you hear in apologetics, right? I mean, yeah. it's the one thing that people want to know—they are addressing because, you know, how can God be? good and wonderful and all loving when there's so much suffering in the world and you're attempting to to really tackle that question is there anything in particular in your life personally that you feel like has been one of those overwhelming you know evils that have happened to you that you've encountered that you've had to reconcile God still being good in the midst of that Mm
0: -hmm. yeah there there are so many the one that comes to mind that was was the most devastating. I I probably shouldn't share publicly because it what well, didn't just involve me, and I'd want to ask permission of the other person that was involved. Yeah. Um, but I will say in, in those circumstances, whereas y- you hear a lot of people say things like, "Oh, that's that's God's will. God must mm-hmm. have wanted that to be that way." You know, the kind of trite things we t- sometimes say when we're trying to be comforting, we're trying to help. Right. Um, I I don't think those kinds of statements are very helpful in those in those circumstances. Sure. For me. I, I didn't believe that what was happening or what had happened was what God ideally wanted. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't believe that God was to blame. Mm-hmm. And I, didn't, I don't claim to have known then or to know now why certain things happen the way they do to me, to other people. Yeah. But I think there is a framework within which we can be confident that it's not God who is doing this to us. Yeah. And I think very often the, the suffering the, the suffering we go through... And some people, much more acutely than others, mm. is compounded by the attempt to find a reason for it. Mm. Usually, a reason in, in in God's providential plan. And there's no explanation of evil that will re- relieve the feeling, the, the suffering that we sure. experience. Really but I think sometimes we actually exacerbate it uh, in our own minds unintentionally uh, mm. because we have the second level of, well, how do we make sense of it? So you have the suffering itself, and then you have the second level, cognitive dissonance, right. that can be like faith-destroying and, and yeah. soul-shattering if we think about it in certain ways that might not be very helpful.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's it's really important to find, I mean, we're always trying to find meaning right. uh, for what happens to us, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's suffering or whether it's something good, like what does this mean cosmically? Yes. And so when things go bad, we are asking the question, what does this mean? Why does this happen? And I think I kind of jumped the gun a little bit. Can you explain what is theodicy? It's a big word, and I kind mm-hmm. of want to break it down a little bit for our, our viewers.
0: Yeah, theodicy comes from the root for God, theos in Greek, and a Greek term that means righteousness and you, or justice. And you put those two terms together, and theodicy was a term that was coined to describe uh, any attempt to explain how God is righteous or just mm-hmm. in light of the evil in the world some people when they say theodicy they use it more technically to mean an actual explanation of why god does what he does and allows what he allows but it's typically taken uh, it can be taken in a looser sense of just a kind of framework or explanation as to how god could still be good and just mm-hmm. even despite the evil in the world even if we don't know all of his reasons mm-hmm. and when i use the word theodicy in the title i'm using it in that broader sense without claiming that i know or would expect to be in a position to know why god what he does what he does mm-hmm or refrains from doing things that we might think he should do. We know some things, I think, that are revealed in the Bible through divine revelation, but there's many things we do not know. And I think that's the biggest thing we should remember when we approach the problem of evil. Right. There are many things that we do not know and beyond our understanding, and we probably shouldn't expect to know. Yeah. There's a lot of things we can say, but there's always more that right. is beyond our knowledge.
2: One, um, uh, Roy Gain, I was just reading his book, Who's Afraid of the Judgment? And he said evangelism is an aspect of theodicy in Mm. that it kind of reveals who God is through what he does through people. Mm. So I think that could be another kind of practical way to see what theodicy is. I don't know what you think about that, but...
0: Yeah, I think both in what we say about God and then if we claim to be Christians and claim to follow him the way that we act actually affects the way other people think about God. So it has major implications for theodicy, not Mm. just what we say, but what we do when we claim to be Christ followers
1: and I feel like it's so important. You mentioned this in the beginning of your book like, you know, to not theologize about somebody else's suffering, and I think that that's It's so tempting when somebody's going through something to be like, oh, well, God has a plan and there's a reason for this. And it's like, it's so easy to say that, but to really understand the complexities of what that person is going through. Like, I feel like it's easy to make sense of my suffering. Like, one of the biggest things that happened was, you know, when my mom died, it was very unexpected. Me having to make sense of it, you know, God was able to answer my questions. But if somebody was to come, you know from the outside and try and give me a reason why this is happening, I would be like, right. no, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. right. please do not. And so in this theological circles that you are, are in, like, what do you feel like, what are some good ways that people are trying to tackle this question? And What are some maybe hurtful and bad ways that people are trying to tackle this question?
0: Yeah, that was one of my greatest fears in even writing the book that people particularly that are either undergoing acute suffering or have in the past would take it as an attempt to try to explain their suffering away Or give an explanation that would in any way trivialize their suffering. And that's one of the reasons that in the book I don't use, I try not to use anecdotal uh, Mm. uh, uh, illustrations from people's real lived suffering. Because I don't want to give the impression, even though we're talking about these things in the book primarily at a philosophical level. I don't want to give the impression that these can be explained away or that they're trivialized in any way. Um, m- many times when people are suffering, uh, we try to give explanations when what, what they really need is just um, someone's presence to mourn with them. Right. And I think that's what we should do. Uh, I think in the book of Job, um, often we overlook this, but for the first week, Job's friends came and they just sat with him, according to the book of Job. Right. Yeah. And they get into trouble when they when they open I their mouth and they, try to explain yeah. things that they don't know, right? And that's right. what God says at the end. Right, He says in Job 2, in one translation, why do you talk so much when you know so little? Mm. And I, I think we need to remember that. I think there, there are frameworks for trying to make sense of some of the things and, and understand how it's not a contradiction. God can still be loving and good, even in spite of the world that we see. And that might even be helpful for someone who already has that framework in mind so that when they go into suffering, the suffering isn't compounded because they're thinking, oh, God must be doing this to me or, or something else. And it might be helpful after suffering when somebody is is really looking to try to make sense of something and try to come to an explanation. But at the moment when somebody is in the crucible, so to speak, I mean, that that is not the time for theological
2: explanation. So how do we reconcile the idea of freedom of choice and, and the fact that some people may cause their own suffering with this whole big picture of suffering in general and who God is.
0: Yeah, one of the ways that I think is, is one of the most helpful ways to approach the problem of evil is called the free will defense that you just kind of alluded to, that uh, some things that are evil happen that God doesn't want to happen because creatures exercise their free will. Mm-hmm. And if God really grants creatures the kind of free will that means they can do otherwise than he ideally wants them to do, right. then it's not up to God whether some evils happen if he's going to consistently grant that kind of freedom. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of evils that, that can be explained that way, but there are some other evils in the world that cannot be explained because sure. they're not, at least in any way that we can fathom, connected in any direct kind of way to free decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Um Even the Bible has many examples where bad things happen to, quote-unquote, good people. And why do the the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? Mm, And there doesn't seem to be a one-to-one correlation that you were good, so you get good things, and you're bad, so you get bad things. In fact, the Bible uh, argues in exactly the opposite direction in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mm. So one of the the bad ways of explaining evil is the explanation of Job's friends, frankly. Mm. Uh, This happened to your children because they were... They're bad children.
1: Right. This you happened, weren't righteous. Yeah. You were, you, this happened
0: to you because you deserved it. Yeah. God is just. So if it's happening to you, you must have deserved it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there must be some reason for it. Job is saying, I don't know why this happened to me. I'd like to talk with God myself. Right. Mm-hmm. I'd like to actually, he actually uses a word in Hebrew, uh, reeb. Uh, I'd like to I'd like to have a co- covenant lawsuit. <laughs> I'd like to actually raise a question with him myself because I know that I didn't do anything to deserve this. Mm-hmm. But he still believes God is just, but he doesn't understand What's going on. how God is just in the meantime. But he knows what his friends is, are saying is not true. True, but from their paradigm, it has to be true.
1: Right, right. Why do you think we look for some of these like simplistic answers? You know, like that that like Job's friends. I feel like is our nature. You know, we want to find the reason why. And I think Jesus was dealing with this in his time. Why is this man born blind? You know, was it his sin or its parents' sin? Yeah. I mean, why do you think that we are looking for more of these simplistic types of answers?
0: Yeah, I can't claim that I know. I think some of what's going on, especially when people try to explain other people's sufferings is I think it's sometimes a defense mechanism so they don't have to deal with the actual messiness of the suffering that people are experiencing or sometimes they just don't know what else to say and thinking about it too much may cause questions in their mind that they're afraid of Mm. and so finding an answer that doesn't invite themselves to have to go through (laughs) this kind of dissonance and uh, makes everything okay so they can go back to their everyday life particularly if it's not happening to them I think that's just an easy default uh, for us as humans. And more and more now, I mean, we're bombarded all the time because of mass media. We know sure. more than ever about all the evils in the world. Sure. And frankly, <laughs> if you're a sensitive personality, it's it's depressing
2: right. to yeah.
0: look at what's happening in the world. So some of it might be a defense mechanism, maybe not with bad motives. For mm. people that are really suffering, I think they're just trying to find something that gives them peace. Yeah. And that's totally understandable.
1: Mm. In, in kind of the circles that you've run in or... I mean, this is, I think this is like the, what, the second book that you've written on the Odyssey. Um, like, I think that's a big part of kind of where your heart is and the things that you're trying to answer. Like, what do you feel as though, you know, what are some answers that you've come up with that you feel like help kind of deal with that cognitive dissonance in your own kind of walk?
0: Yeah, I mean, without getting into like the larger framework that would take a long time to, to explain right now, yeah. um, I think the biggest thing... The number one thing is recognizing that the God of the Bible, who is the God of the cross, Mm. the God who is willing to take on humanity, Mm. suffer and die and be put to death Mm. um, at the hands of the very humans that he came to save, the fact that that God can be trusted, Mm. that even if I didn't have any of the other framework or, or potential, at least parts of an outline of an explanation that I think things like the cosmic conflict provide, Um, Even if I didn't have any of that or I couldn't make sense of any of it, I think there would still be good reason to trust in the God of the cross who gives himself for us, who knew what he was getting into, Mm -hmm. who had no – no one could force him to come and save us. There's no outward compulsion. He does it purely out of love. And one who is willing to give himself in that way can be trusted. Mm -hmm. And if you read the biblical narrative of this God, it's not just that he suffered on the cross. He mm-hmm. suffers all the way through the Bible mm-hmm. because in an analogous way to the fact that when, when my son suffers, I suffer. When he, when he broke his arm a few summers ago, I wish that I could break my arm right. <laughs> instead On of him, behalf, right? <laughs> right? And he was more resilient than, than both, both myself and my wife because we like <laughs> more traumatized <laughs> than him because he, he, you know, it heals and he's better and we're, we're still
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: feeling it because of our love for him. Uh, we're all God's children and mm-hmm. every event of suffering according to the Bible, affects him, right? He he carries it, and he loves us so much. And God himself is going through this suffering and evil with us. So okay. I ask myself, um, and I'm not suggesting this is anything like a thoroughgoing explanation, mm. but if there had been any other way, if there had been something else that God could have done that would have been better, mm-hmm. wouldn't he have done it? Mm-hmm. Even if it was just not to go through the cross, sure. not to have to go through all of this suffering that, that even he shares with us. And I think we just have abundant reason to believe that he loves us really more than we could imagine. And even if we can't understand what he's doing or, or why he uh, permits, if that's the right word, some of the things that happen, uh, we can trust him.
2: Mm-hmm. So um, I was a coal porter, and um, I knocked on a door some years back, and this gentleman gave me this book, and he says, when you're tired of what you're doing, selling these Christian books, um, you know, pick this up, read it. And he, it was a book called The God of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was kind of explaining to me his picture of God and how, because it didn't match with the picture of the New Testament, then all of it was befooey, right? Um, and he kind of was seeing through a certain lens, right, and his world and his perspective. But how do you reconcile that idea, dealing with people who say, well, God actually himself causes the suffering based on what I see in some of these pictures in the Old Testament. What would you say to, to someone like that?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of things to say there. I think the first thing uh, to okay. recognize is that if you read the Old Testament, New Testament closely, I think it's manifest that the New Testament God is the same as the Old Testament God. Sure. So Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is the God of the Old Testament, Right. right? And so when people say, I like Jesus, I don't like the Old Testament God, I, I, I already have to have questions in my mind about what they understand about the Old Testament God and what they understand about Jesus. Right? There are passages in the Old Testament, judgment passages. Often uh, people misunderstand, especially if they're not reading uh, chronologically and, and connecting some of the prophetic um, testimonies with what's happening in the history of Israel and Judah at the time. Mm-hmm. People sometimes think that these judgment events are happening like consistently, But actually, there's often very long periods between uh, instances of divine judgment. Mm -hmm. And if you read the prophets, if you read like Jeremiah called the weeping prophet, uh, in Jeremiah, it's not just the prophet who's the weeping prophet. God is the weeping God. So Mm -hmm. much so that sometimes in the book of Jeremiah, you can't even tell whether it's Jeremiah or God speaking and who is really weeping because God is suffering as an unrequited lover, really as kind of like a jaded spouse uh, that has been cast away. And he's doing everything that he can to spare his people until finally there is no remedy. Mm -hmm. Another thing I would say is that a lot of judgments that come in the Old Testament first of all when God brings judgment he has the right to bring judgment because he is all knowing and he knows when is the time to bring judgment he does it only justly but there are many judgments in the Old Testament that come as the result of God removing his protection Mm -hmm. and then other agencies come in and do what they wanted to do like Babylon Mm -hmm. Uh, finally the people push his protection away he finally leaves his presence leaves Jerusalem Babylon comes and destroys Jerusalem, and then God says to Babylon, "You did way more, right? What you did was was bad and evil, yeah. and He, He, I didn't want you to do that." Mm-hmm. Uh, but His protection is removed, partially because the people have put, pushed Him away, and I think there's there's ways to understand that. Uh, the final thing that I would say, there's more I would say, but to be, yeah. not be too verbose here, uh, the final thing I would say is that uh, the, the Jesus of the New Testament also speaks about judgment.
2: Yeah,
0: It's just that judgment is the flip side of love. Mm-hmm. Judgment is God's righteous anger against evil. Mm-hmm. And a God who is really love cannot uh, forever let evil continue. Right. Yeah. And there's not really an alternative for a loving God, a good alternative for a loving God, other than finally putting an end to evil. Because the only... People sometimes think God's giving people an ultimatum, but that's not the case. There's no possibility that anyone can have life apart from God. You cannot exist apart from the sustaining (laughs) power and life-giving source of God. The reason people think they can is because we're under grace right now. Mm -hmm. And so in the end, the only options are to be connected to God or not to be connected to God. And if if somebody wants to continue the way they think they're living now, disconnected from God, but still connected under the grace of God... uh, He would have to give you like eternal life apart from himself, which Mm -hmm. would be quite literally a living hell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that would be far worse than when he finally just basically lets people have what they choose of their own accord to be with him, which is life, and to be without him, which is nothing but the opposite of life. (laughs)
1: Right, You know, I, I I've loved your classes too, by the way, because every time yeah. people ask questions, Likewise. like you always have these amazing <laughs> answers. Um, but I I think it's interesting in the Old Testament too. You have like Hosea and you have like Ezekiel chapter twenty three, where they kind of paint this picture of what the Odyssey. God's kind of telling you like why I'm allowing these bad things to happen. Yeah. Hosea two is like, hey, I'm going to hedge up your way. You're not going to get what you want, but it's so I can bring you to the desert and speak tenderly to you, so you mm-hmm. can come back to me. Mm-hmm. Or Ezekiel twenty three, where he's like, you know, I'll let you be in the house of your lover so mm-hmm. you can see what it's like to be with them mm-hmm. but then hopefully you'll return to your first husband <laughs> and it'll be better with you than it is now and yes. I, yeah. and it's interesting that God is kind of giving little bits of explanation of, Absolutely. of certain things that he's another
0: made. one that comes mm-hmm. to mind just along those lines in Lamentations 3 the same chapter where we get the hymn Great is Thy Faithfulness sure. just a few verses later it says um, when he brings judgment uh, it's not from his heart mm-hmm. and the literal Hebrew phrase is like from his heart it's not what he wants mm-hmm. it's like it's the only alternative or the best thing that he can do for good purposes and even when he brings discipline in Deuteronomy it's for your good mm-hmm. like a loving father uh, would discipline disciplines their children right of course not all parents are loving but God yeah, is right. only loving and only just and he only does what he does for the best good of everyone involved
1: yeah and it's interesting because I feel like there's two there's two folds to suffering right there's suffering where God is maybe we're suffering as a result of our own choices mm-hmm. and God is using that suffering to bring us back to him and then there's mm-hmm. stuff that's completely out of our control that's being done to us and I feel like that's the harder one to explain you know the first one's like okay I can take responsibility for that but and and even in my own mind and this is just kind of through my own uh, sufferings um I feel like God kind of lifts the veil of like what this world really is, mm-hmm. you know, when things happen to you and be like, don't put your trust in this because this world is wicked and I have to kind of recreate everything at some point. And so I'm giving you a peek into how wicked this world is. I won't give you the full, you know, the, the, the full waterfall of what it is, but you get a taste and, and it, it, it hurts. It hurts. But yeah, there's these twofold uh, sufferings and, and the latter one, when things happen to you, I think that's the more difficult one to answer.
0: It is, it is, and I do think the Bible provides a framework for understanding that this world is actually like enemy territory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not the world the way it is now is not the way God wanted it to be. Sure, it's what happens when creatures rebel and go their own way, both heavenly creatures and earthly creatures, and secondarily, when we have those instances of suffering that are done to us. God also put himself in a position where he was vulnerable to having right. things done to him, right. mostly at the cross. So he knows what it's like. And he's not like a distant God who's just like, well, you know, good luck with that. You're on your own. Yeah. He has gone through it more acutely than anyone and sure. carried suffering more than anyone. And he is with us through the suffering. And I think there are ways to make sense of why why God would allow these things for a time, even if we don't know with regard to specific instances, what is happening in that instance, what is happening in that instance.
2: I think something that always kind of blows my mind is that the biggest, the big risk in creating humanity and the fact that one person's free choice can impact the next person's uh, life, right? So like, if I make a bad decision, it could cause you to suffer and Mm -hmm. around with the world. So I feel like, I mean, it's the possibility of the chaos, which is happening right now, was just so great. So, yeah. just. And th-
0: there's no other way that creatures could have the kind of agency, the kind of freedom that's necessary for love,
2: right. unless
0: creatures actually have the ability to make decisions. Sure. And some yeah. of those decisions might be otherwise than God wants, and actually carry out at least some of the consequences of those decisions. Yeah. And that goes all the way to the way that we think. Um, if I controlled everything that my spouse thinks of me, she couldn't love me. Right. She couldn't love me freely. That wouldn't that wouldn't be love. Um, so even at the level of what we think about God and what we think about reality, God is going to help us to understand, but he's not going to control our minds. Sometimes we're like, why doesn't God just give us all the answers, download into our brain? Yeah. Well, that would be to compromise the kind of agency that I think we have good reason to, to believe is necessary for love. Yeah. And if God is love and he creates, one of the reasons he creates is for creatures to be able to... Uh, enjoy his love, and also reflect his love, then this is a necessary facet of reality. Mm-hmm. Now, no one needed to misuse that freedom. Sure. It could have been the case, ideally, that no one ever did anything wrong. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if evil itself is necessary, mm-hmm. but the the kind of free will that is needed for love is necessary. And then if creatures mm-hmm. choose to to use that, to misuse that, if God is going to consistently grant it, it's not up to him to stop that.
1: Mm. I think that's even the most difficult part of relationships, you know, like you see so much people trying to control other people in their relationships because it's much easier to like try to control someone's love than to say you can choose, you know, and if you want to walk away today, then that's, that's on you. Absolutely. And I think... We, we walk into that just a little bit in our own relationships of trying to, you know, navigate what it means to give somebody else free will. Yes. Yeah. Or even your children, right? Like, I think... Yeah. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. The choice to choose, that's right. <laughs> Absolutely,
0: yeah. It's 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 very difficult yeah. to let people that you love make choices that hurt you and hurt them.
2: Right.
0: Because you love them. Yeah. yeah. Um, but at some point, if you're actually... If the other person's going to have the agency that is necessary for them uh, to be able to love... They have to have that freedom.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting. One of the first things when I was coming into my relationship with the Lord, like I was coming from this secular background where I think a lot of it was more um, the impassable God of like, you know, whether it's the universe or Mm -hmm. Buddhism or -hmm. or this types of philosophies. And to understand that God, um, like we were talking about earlier, like he suffers. Like, and we have the potential to make choices in our everyday life that hurt him. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. just as much as you could hurt a spouse because you don't love them or you don't uh, you're choosing to love other things other than this person, And I think that blew me away. Mm-hmm. you know how does the sufferings of God really play into kind of the vindication of God's character in this whole you know conflict of figuring out is he good
0: I think it I think is one of the one of the crucial facets there is as you mentioned a lot of people who think God is impassable, which means he cannot suffer at least in one definition of what it means to be impassable that's a very um, prominent idea in some Christian theologies. Uh, but the Bible portrays a very different kind of God, a God who suffers. He suffers willingly no one could put him in a position to suffer if he didn't if he wasn't willing to put himself in a vulnerable position he's the transcendent creator of everything. No one could harm him if he decided to you know protect himself all the time mm. uh, but because he creates a world that he gives agency to and that he loves, he opens himself up to the ability to suffer and be affected uh, by what happens in the world. And when we see that, I think we have a a different view of God, who really is with us and really loves us, supremely manifested at the cross. Um, Some people criticize that idea because they think, um, they they kind of caricature it and say, well, suffering God doesn't really solve the problem of evil because you still have evil. Mm -hmm. And that's where the flip side comes in. God suffers, and he suffers with us, but the suffering is only temporary Mm -hmm. because God is also going to put an end to evil. So even though he enters into history as a human, in the second person of the Trinity, in Jesus Christ, and he suffers and he dies, he also thereafter, after he, after he settles the questions of his character and settles the sin problem, yeah. he will also put an end to evil once and for all. And even though he lowers himself to be affected, he retains the power, and in the end he will exercise the power uh, to completely eradicate evil for the best good of everyone, for eternity.
1: Thanks again for listening in. We appreciate the support and viewership of our listeners. Tell us, what are some helpful answers that you've come to in your own walk of faith as you've reconciled the justice and goodness of God with the presence of evil in the world? Stay tuned for next week as we continue our conversation with Dr. Peckham, exploring some of the conclusions he has arrived at in his book, The Odyssey of Love. We want to thank our guest once again, as well as the Adventist learning community for making this program possible. And remember, whatever platform you're listening on, be sure to comment, like, and subscribe. See you next week.